You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Second Peter chapter 1 tonight. We're going to begin a new series this evening. 2 Peter chapter 1, and just a moment we'll introduce that series. Um, I was just thinking as we sang that last song, who else has loved us like Jesus has loved us? Um, and isn't that really why we gather around his table tonight? Is a, It is a love feast, it's a gratitude feast, um, as we just savor what Christ has done for us. And um, a lot of other love is pretty shallow, isn't it? Even at times we've been a contributor to that in how we've loved on others or maybe withheld our love from others. And I'm grateful that uh, his love is so deep and it's like none other. Uh, Just a couple things of note tonight. Again, as I reiterated or as I mentioned this morning, if you would partner with us in prayer for our first responders day uh, next Sunday and uh, do your best to help us promote that. If you can just share uh, online if you have access to folks through that or text them if you know folks that serve in that capacity um, and then plan to be with us for the morning, stay afterwards. Really, the food is an, <laughs> excuse me, is an excuse to fellowship. So, you know, well, we had, di- we had lunch planned. I mean, come on, you know, uh, that's not why we're doing it. It is, it is to allow us to connect with these first responders in a way that's more um, just it feels more uh, informal if that's the way of doing it or just kind of let's spend some time together so please catch the spirit of that um, and then if you will one of the things that Brother Stoffer especially stressed to me was that first responders like to contribute they don't like to just sit and give me credit and give me stuff uh, so one of our ideas that we've been bantering around is having them have what they call apparatus, either a car, a cruiser, an ambulance, fire truck, some of that. Pray that all that will come together, and we're going to be doing that in the south parking lot, so the lower parking lot's a little safer with the kids, and then some of them may have to cut out if something comes up, but they're willing to participate if they're able. So take advantage of that. Don't stay in the building or just leave. Um, have lunch, rub shoulders with them, get to know them. Um, and then take your kids out, come out, and just at least interact with them a little bit before you head out. We're praying that God will really bless that. Um, it was neat tonight in our um, deacon meeting, the folks helping serve in just a few minutes, our Lord's Supper, and uh, we were talking about um, all of the canvassing we did in Orville, and we got a lot of good feedback from that. It takes some time to gain traction. It was neat to see some folks that visited, but uh, it's neat as well. We're hearing that folks are hearing of our first responders day, in Orville and uh, other churches and people. And so you just stay at it, right? You just keep at it and love on people and do right uh, as the Lord leads and all that gains traction in his timing. So pray for that. Let's not assume that it's going to be a great day or it's going to happen by uh, just default. We need to seek the Lord this week on that. And then the last thing would be if you could pray for Brother Andrew Moore. As most of you know, he's been battling cancer and he was hospitalized again this weekend um, with pneumonia. And uh, he ended up eventually at main campus Cleveland Clinic and they actually discharged him this morning a little bit prematurely I think at least would be even their assessment but the hospital's just overrun right now with other uh, what they would categorize more urgent needs and so he's at home but if you pray for him as he's trying to shake pneumonia and uh, has fever that just keeps coming back and so talk with Mandy uh, just a few minutes ago so if you pray for their families well I know that they would appreciate that all right second Peter chapter one tonight Let's look, if you will, at verse 1 and read down through verse 4. 
please do not judge the length of the sermon potentially based on the length of the text. Just that word of warning tonight. All right? We're going to stretch out Second Peter for at least three years or so here. So no, I'm just kidding. First one, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of, our God, of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his, verse 3, divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust and so we're starting a new series this evening looking at second peter and we've entitled the series firm foundations which is kind of uh it's interesting the difference between first peter we talked about that more of the gentleness and the softness and the tenderness that should characterize our demeanor and now the firm foundations a study on solidifying truths uh, in the book of second peter and tonight we want to look at the solid gifts what what's the foundation that god has given us he has given us the foundation of his giving what has he given us that's what we want to pack tonight let's pray together lord thank you for your goodness thank you for the joy it is to be here tonight each of these dear folks and the divine appointment that we have with you your word your spirit your table, as Lord, we gather around it tonight, and we, we simply rejoice in what you have given to us through the finished work of Christ. Pray that you bless uh, that in a bit, as well as you bless this series as we begin tonight looking at this rich text of Second Peter. Help us to identify where we are insecure and where that exposes a, an out-of-step relationship with your word, with the knowledge and the truth and the revelation that has moored the soul's and uh, Lord, the day-to-day -day, um, living of believers of every generation, call us back to it, renew our commitment to what you have to say, and uh, Lord, may it be where we look for our stability and our security. Uh, bless this study, we pray tonight in Christ's name, amen. So just a word of introduction about the book of Second Peter, and then we'll talk about the text that we begin with tonight. Um, Paul is writing here to a group of believers who were in a very insecure world, a very unstable setting. Sound familiar? And uh, Peter was encouraging them and admonishing them to draw their, uh, their foundational confidence uh, from a higher, more solid ground than just contemporary culture and uh, the deliverers so-called of the day. And I think primarily Peter had three aims to this book. Again, this would be introduction to the book as a whole. First, it was written to strengthen and to stabilize Christians in the knowledge of God. And you'll find over and over these words, um, establish. Uh, you'll find uh, other evidences or uh, words that, that parallel that thought. Um, strengthen, establish, um, and, and stabilize, these kind of ideas. And all throughout the book of Second Peter, if you're reading this in the original language, it's one word that Peter keeps saying over and over and over again. He's admonishing believers to be grounded uh, in the knowledge of God. Secondly, we'll get to in chapter 2, the letter also directly rebukes and corrects those who are teaching any other knowledge that would be undermining the stability of the believers uh, in the church. And, and so he calls them out with very strong language. And specifically, he calls out pastors and teachers 
who advocate for a different gospel or they're teaching a, a different knowledge, a more accommodating and uh, listener-sensitive and pleasing kind of revelation. And so he, he also will call them out. And then finally, the letter's aim, its aim includes the rescue and the, the, the calling back of those who've fallen. And I, I want to encourage you tonight, if you've become a bit insecure, this book is for you, not just to pile on, hey, why are you so insecure? He calls us back to having our foundation squarely uh, upon uh, the Word of God. And so we see him uh, calling us back from where, we've, where we have stumbled or where we have wandered away from his Word. Now tonight we're going to look at this idea of gift. And if you look down at verse 3, he says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things. And so tonight we're going to talk about these gifts, the gift that comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ that we'll reflect on in just a moment, and all the other things that God has afforded us give to us a sense of stability. Now you do realize that Christmas is coming, right? I'll be the first to broach that subject maybe in our church. We are 62 days, if my math is correct, from Christmas, um, and that feels way too close, I have to be honest with you, because I know what the weather's like. Do you remember Christmas Eve last year? We had a Christmas Eve service, and literally all of us are like, why are we here? Because, I mean, it was beautiful, the snow was falling, but then we all had to drive home, right? And a few crazy people just went sledding afterwards. They just like, we're just staying all night. Um, but but that, that's coming for us, gifts. The other day I saw a list of, these are real gifts that people gave, and the question was, what are the worst gifts you've ever gotten, okay? And this is a few, these are real stories. Number one, I got a very nice sweater, someone said, that was worn, stained, and then re-gifted to me. <laughs> Second one, I find this one hilarious, a book on Chinese culture written in Chinese. That was the <laughs> gift that somebody gave to them. And then this one, someone gave a, sing, a single purple shoelace, that's it. Just one single purple shoelace, no other matching one to go with it. Just, here you go, here's a shoelace. You ever gotten a bad gift? And you're like, that's, that's a gift, or I don't know, whatever you say when you get it. Aren't you thankful that what God has given us is not just precious, as we're going to talk about in a moment, but it, it's securing. It, it bonds us to Him, a God who loves us enough to give us so richly all things. And so this gift of God, these freely given things of God should give us greater stability. Listen to me tonight to take for granted what are divine gifts, and they're all around us, right? In this room is, is, a, is a, a flood of gifts represented, things that just the breathing going on in this room, and the, I mean, we could just go into tons of directions with that, but to take for granted what are divine gifts from God will always lead to a sense of insecurity and instability that's unnecessary. We don't have to be insecure in the areas that God has been so giving. Let's talk about tonight two divine gifts or categories of gifts that we should appreciate and as a result derive greater stability. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes first of all about gifts that are intangible. Gifts that are intangible. The other day I saw this picture of a pastor um, that I, I respect and admire. He had this picture of his granddaughter. Um, she is... Uh, she, every time she comes into his study, which his study must be a little bigger than mine for the record, um, but she will take, he has some wooden ducks, and she will put them up on the pool table, and they will swim on the pool table. Isn't it funny how kids, their imagination, right? They see things that to me, like, eh, she's smudging the nice felt that I just had installed on that table, you know? Will the slate hold her up? You know, I start going into very practical. She's 
living in an imaginative way. Can I tell you tonight, many times I think where we are insecure, where we are unstable, is a result of walking by sight or analyzing everything instead of walking by faith in appreciating what God has done for us, things we can't even see. You know, a lot of the things in this room that we should most draw security from are things that I can't reach out and grab, and neither can you. He, he walks with me, and he talks with me, and we, we could talk about all kinds of intangible gifts that God has given. And that's what we start with in the text tonight. It is these intangible things that God uh, has so freely given to us. Notice a couple aspects of this. Let's begin in verse number one. The Bible says here, Simon Peter, this would be the author, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Hold your place there in 2 Peter. Would you go back to the very beginning of 1 Peter for just a moment? The man, by the way, who was at the first Lord's Supper, right? He was there at the table. Um, He heard the words from the lips of Jesus. And this same man, God led him to write these two letters to these believers scattered throughout these regions. But notice how he begins chapter 1 of his first letter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now go back to what we begin with, 2 Peter 1. Do you notice a difference between how Peter begins his second letter? First, you notice later he says a servant before he gets to an apostle, an apostle of Jesus Christ. In the second letter, he proceeds that with a servant. He leads with, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. It's also interesting that he includes the word or the name Simon. He doesn't begin with Peter. He he begins with Simon. He includes Simon. And I mentioned uh, this to our men tonight as we prayed over the Lord's table that God would bless it. Anytime Simon was called Simon, he was in trouble. That tended to be how it went. Um, Simon, Simon, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, the end of the the Gospel of John. And we could talk of multiple places where uh, Christ called him out. And when he did so, he used the word Simon. Peter was the more sophisticated. And so in 1 Peter, we see Peter leading with that. Here, he includes the name that was associated with a lot of his shortcomings. You know what that speaks to tonight? That here we have a man who's more secure, a man willing to acknowledge his roots, a man willing to even own his flaws and faults and to acknowledge what God had done in his life. And I think we see from the very beginning of this epistle, Simon, Peter, is portraying and embodying and exemplifying a sense of security that we do not likely see in his first epistle. That's fascinating to me uh, that we see Peter evidencing that here. All right, so these couple of gifts. Number one, stand upon the gift of humility. So the first intangible gift that God gives us is this gift of humility. He humbles us with his gifts. I don't know that I've ever felt better about me and prouder of me when someone blesses me with a gift, especially that I don't deserve. Doesn't it humble us? And I think one of the gifts of of coming to this table tonight and observing what Christ has done for us is it just, it breaks us down, doesn't it? It humbles us that God would love us enough and would sacrifice enough to bring us into relationship uh, with him. And so we see Simon modeling that here in the text. All right, let's talk about a couple of benefits, if you will, or nuances of this gift of humility. First, and I think you have these subpoints in your outline, let's talk about the human benefit. What comes to us through the gift of humility? Look back, if you will, at verse number one. A servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained, all right, what have we obtained? What is the gift or human benefit like 
precious faith with us. The human benefit first is faith. We, we are blessed with faith from God, this precious faith. And the word obtained that is found here has the idea of obtaining by lot. It's referenced in Luke 1 and verse 9, John 19 and verse 24. This implies that it was not something we earned. It wasn't something we deserved. God, uh, in His grace, in His sovereignty, in His love for us, He chose us, not because we deserved it, but because He was willing to give it. And so we see here this idea that this faith is precious faith. We are included uh, in this gift of faith. And the language here was also used in this day, in Peter's day, of foreigners who were granted the privileges of citizenship in a given country that weren't native-born. So they were included in the, the citizenry. Uh, they uh, had all of the rights and civic privileges that go with that national, uh, belonging to that nationality. And he's using that same language here. We have been included. We have been brought into this family. Just as the apostles had access to this faith, we too have access. Key point tonight is this. If our, our stability and our standing with God rest upon faith, then we all can have it. If our stability and our standing with God is only ours because of faith, then that means any of us can have it. And if we don't, we have no excuse. I think we've almost gotten used to this sense of kind of timidity and insecurity and, and, and always self-deprecating in a way that oftentimes is undercutting the confidence that should be ours through Jesus Christ. I'm not talking arrogance in who we are, but confidence in who Christ is. And so this faith, if it is, is a faith, then any of us tonight can have uh, this confidence, we can have this stability, it is ours for the taking. All right, look if you will at the end of verse 1. He goes on to say, because that obviously is not available to us on our own, through the righteousness of God, in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Number two, divine means. So the human benefit is faith. How do we get it? Through, notice, the righteousness of God. One of the things that's interesting about these first four verses is that each verse has the word through. That, that something leads to something and, and that this helps us to get this. And so the, the human benefit is only ours through what God has provided. And so this first divine means to faith that gives us confidence, gives us stability, is the righteousness of God. Um, the Bible says that the righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when no man pursue, pursue it, right? So it is a lack of a sense of righteousness. We're wrong. We're failures. We're always messing up that ob obviously contributes to our insecurities. God has provided for us a better way. Now, what's interesting here in verse 1 is he's not talking of two different people. The way it's structured there, he's saying that Jesus Christ, at the end of verse 1, is God and is Savior. Uh, and so we see a reference to Jesus Christ, his deity. We see that clearly being alluded to here uh, in the text. All right, you're in 2 Peter 1. Would you go quickly to 1 John just for a moment? This idea of God's righteousness. I think we have time to look at it. 1 John chapter 2, and if you would please, verse number 1. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1. And I love how it refers to Jesus Christ in this verse. My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. 
That's, that's God's desire. But, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the what? The righteous. Uh, and so, obviously, what was John written? What was the agenda of John? First, who was it written to? Believers, right? That they could have what? Confidence. Jesus is righteous. Therefore, why don't we have greater confidence? I'm a loser. You're a loser. We all fail. But he doesn't. So why, brethren, don't we have a greater sense of security? We're out of step. We're out of sync uh, with this righteous God, this righteous Savior that only requires of us faith. And so tonight, it is not about who we are or what others think or who they think we are that gives us our, our stability. It is who Jesus is that alone provides a constant, steady source of grounded faith. I don't know about the president. I don't know about the folks running for office that got signs everywhere right now in our community. I don't know if they're righteous, but I know he is. I have confidence tonight. Do you? And so we have to rest in that. Uh, and so the faith that we have is through the righteousness of our God and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. All right, verse 2. Go back to our text there. And look, if you will, now verse number 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. Uh, our Lord. Number two, jot this down. So we stand upon the gift of humility. Number two, we stand upon the gift of multiplication. Notice he says there at the beginning of verse two, grace and peace be multiplied uh, unto you. Um, one of the things that's mind-boggling to me is, is technology in our day. All of the infrastructure it takes to get on our mobile device and to make that happen. Um, and obviously, there's all kinds of conspiracies and concerns associated with that. Uh, but just this past summer, Google, think of this, the logistics of this. Google just finished this summer laying a giant undersea internet cable that stretched 3,900 miles from New York City to the UK and Spain under the ocean. Um, and Google said that this would uh, raise their ability to transport between 340 and 350 terabytes of data per second, or as they described it for the layman like me, roughly equivalent to 17.5 million people simultaneously streaming 4K video. 17.5 million people under the seabed, uh, on the seabed floor, just transporting and expanding the, 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 the information age and the multiplication of it. Can I tell you tonight, as it relates to our insecurities, nothing feeds them more than the sensation of running out. I think as we age, one of the reasons we age with insecurity, I know I fight it, I'm sure you do as well, um, is I feel like I'm losing energy and I'm losing connections and losing resources. And often our insecurities are fed as we have that sensation of running short and wearing down. And that will always lead to a greater sense of insecurity if we're living life independently of God instead of leaning into Him and depending upon Him that as we move through life, instead of things being minimized and reduced, they are being multiplied. What does God promise to multiply to the, to the believer that's firmly fixed and built upon Him? Well, here it is. Jot this down. The human benefit, as we just read at the beginning of verse 2, is grace and peace. This grace and peace from God are multiplied. Now, how are these blessings, how, what does that even mean? How is grace and peace multiplied? How is that multiplied in my life? How does that produce greater confidence in my heart uh, as I move forward in life? 
Well, you notice that it says that it comes through, and we'll come back to this more in just a moment, the knowledge of God. To know God, as we get to know Him better, the more we experience this grace and peace. One author said this, those who live in the sanctuary rather than in the suburbs find the secret of God's grace and peace. I think often we we live too far from God. We too infrequently interact with God. So our grace and peace is running on fumes instead of it's, it's being replenished, it's, it's growing, it's expanding, and I'm more filled and overwhelmed with God's grace and peace than I was yesterday, and it just keeps expanding as I go, being close to the Lord. And the humbling truth is tonight, we not only need God to give us grace and peace, listen to me, but to multiply that peace and grace. He has to, he has to grow it. It's not enough to be a babe in Christ and just to believe in Him enough to be saved. It it must grow, it must expand. That's where the stability of the believer comes. And then as we mentioned, notice the divine means. He says at the end of verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The divine means, jot this down, is the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. Um, Everybody thinks they're right nowadays, right? Um, I think I'm right, you think I'm right, everybody in the world thinks they're right. The other day I heard someone said this, intelligence is not a guarantee that someone is right. Isn't that good? Like, well, I mean, look at the PhDs and look at the, the pedigree, and just because someone has intelligence doesn't mean they're right on a given issue. And, and so as it relates to knowledge, this means to grace and peace, we need the knowledge of God. This blessing that he gives here, grace and peace be multiplied to you, is not... Uh, sometimes we kept, you know, Lord be with you, Lord bless you. You know, we just kind of throw out these, these phrases. P- Peter here is not just saying this in a trite way. He's not just saying grace and peace be with you guys and see you later kind of is the spirit of it. It's very intentional, the wording. He's calling them and inviting them into these virtues, these blessings of God that come through the knowledge of God. This knowledge implies not just a head knowledge, but a personal, intimate relationship, an experience, a, a closeness to God that gives to us grace and peace. It's interesting to contrast Peter's spirit and tone in 1 Peter versus 2 Peter. Think about this analogy tonight. The key word in 2 Peter is knowledge, and and here we see Peter warning of false teaching. He'll get more to that just uh, later in our text. In 1 Peter, Satan is described as a roaring lion. Uh, For Peter there is emphasizing the persecution that's about to come upon the saints. In 2 Peter, Satan is portrayed as a serpent. He's infiltrating, which is more effective in deluding and defeating the church and creating instability in God's people, attack from the outside or corruption from the inside. History would say the second is true. And so Peter here is calling out false teachers and that which is opposite of knowledge of God. Persecution strengthens the church and cleanses the church. False teaching weakens the church and ruins its testimony. And so the word of God is our weapon to which we confront all of the falsehood around us. Just as his divine power is the source of all that he gives, knowledge is the channel through which he gives us this grace and this peace that are multiplied. Here would be my question to you tonight. Is knowing God... A priority to you and if it is how high of a priority is it to you is knowing God not me knowing God or someone else knowing God but you knowing God is it the priority in your life 
Until it is, you will never possess the stability that you so crave. You never possess the confidence that comes from getting in this book and getting on these knees and crying out to that God and saying, God, I want to know you. There's a confidence, there's a stability that comes from the rhythm, the cadence of a daily pursuit of knowing God. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, said this, listen to these words, what were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God. This is life eternal that they may know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. John 17, 3. What is the best thing in life? Bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else. Knowledge of God. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him glory, him that glorieth, let him glory in this that he understandeth and knoweth me, Jeremiah 9.23. What of all the states God ever sees in man gives him the most pleasure? Knowledge of himself. I desire the knowledge of God more than burnt offering, says God in Hosea 6, verse 6. And then he concludes with this statement. Once you have become aware that the main business you're here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Just pursue God. Know him, and he will give to you that security, that stability that you so yearn for. All right, look at verse 3 now. Let's talk for a few minutes about a second categorical gift that God gives to us that we should draw great uh, security from. Verse 3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Number 2, let's talk for a few minutes about his inspired gifts. So we have the intangible gifts of God. Number two, we have the inspired gifts. That would be the gifts connected to his word. Things he's revealed to us and the, the gifts that alone come to us through those. I was joking with one of our guys before church tonight. He was looking at his fantasy football league on his phone. I tried to make eye contact with him right now. So I said, don't try to tell me after church you were on your phone reading the Bible, okay? We were kind of joking about that. Um, the other day I heard this. Think about this statement. I think we are often distracted from the Word of God by many things, not just those of us who are involved in fantasy football. Um, someone did the math. They said if you're on your phone for two hours a day, which, by the way, is, I know it makes you cringe to hear this, but most people average much higher than that. But if you're only on your phone two hours a day, you will spend a month on your phone just this year. Two hours a day adds up to one-twelfth a whole month out of a year. And yet we claim, brethren, we don't have time to be in this. This book that gives us our confidence that no phone and no technology, nobody else, no other word uh, can give to us. And so this gift that we often overlook uh, is the source of our stability. Our stability or lack thereof is in direct proportion to how much we are in God's word and how much God's word is in us. You might want to write that down and challenge your heart with it even this week. Our stability or lack thereof is in direct proportion to how much we are in God's word and how much God's word is in us. All right, let's break down these two verses tonight as we finish. Number one, jot this down, stand upon the gift of calling. So in this book, one of the awesome, most stabilizing aspects of it is I find in this book it calls me to something. It gives me a mission. Uh, it gives to me a purpose uh, that provides great uh, security. Stand upon the gift of calling. I've used this illustration before, and I'll use it again tonight if it helps. I remember when I was getting my, um, 
I think I already had my CDL, but I was getting some extra um, endorsements to drive coach buses. We had bought a couple of coach buses for the church I was on staff at. Large Van Hool was one of the, the buses. I think it had about 65, 70. It was a big old bus. And I remember the guy that was training me, he talked to me about specifically curves or turns. And he was saying, one of the things you have to be careful of in a turn is you have a large vehicle moving sideways, especially if you have crosswinds or other th- factors. You don't want that bus to be unstable. And he said, I know it sounds counterintuitive, but you never want to idle through a curve and you never want to break in the middle of a curve. You want to actually accelerate through the curve. And so you slow down before you hit a curve, and then as you go through, not as in a crazy person, but you slowly accelerate your way through the curve. That stabilizes a vehicle. And I think for a lot of us tonight, the reason we do not possess a sense of security is we're just coasting. We're just drifting. We want to do God's will, but we don't know it. We're not seeking it. And so having a calling on your life provides a great sense of security. All right, notice what he talks about here in verse 3. First of all, the human benefit. Notice what is the benefit of this gift of calling. It provides for us life and godliness, or the two words there. The benefit of this gift of calling, that God calls us to a mission, it provides for us life and godliness. Peter, as he penned these words, may have thought of John 6 and verse 68, when Christ said, are you guys going to leave me like the rest of this crowd has done so? And Peter responded, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of what? Eternal life. Peter sensed that, that God had life, his word had life, and so we must lean into his word to experience that same life and godliness. May I encourage you tonight that this life and godliness needs to be personally processed. It's not enough to come hear me preach or teach or listen to someone else online, uh, some podcast that you queue up every morning that you listen to. You yourself need to mine it out of the word of God. It imparts to us personally, directly, this life and godliness. May I say tonight, the Bible is all-sufficient. That means it, it, it meets every need. It has every answer. And if it is all-sufficient, then we can be grounded, godly believers. And any godly, grounded believer you meet believes that. They believe this is all they need. It's all, it has all the answers. I may not have it at first blush. I may not get it the, on the first reading. But it's in there, and I'm seeking it, and I'm pursuing it. And God gives as a result to that individual life and godliness. All right, go through the beginning of verse 3. We see there the means to this life and godliness according as his divine power uh, has given to us. And then the end of verse number uh, 3, it says, through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. What is the divine means? It is the greatness of God. God is great. God is powerful. He delivers on this life and godliness. You notice as you age that you, you just have things you prefer to be a certain way. Um, I noticed, I observed that in you. You probably observed that in me. My family's always piling on me about, oh, dad likes it this way. You know, they know all of my pet peeves, et cetera. Um, my car being clean is one, and they're always, you know, just purposely just crumbling up cookies and then smirking at me or, you know, that kind of stuff. We went to, we went to uh, Ramsire's a few weeks ago and bought a bale of straw that stuff's everywhere and they're all just kind of smirking you know as we're driving back and uh not potatoes we didn't get any of those but pumpkins and stuff and they were just having a hoot and hollering time thinking about dad they're just cringing as the straw is just w- blowing around in my car you know we all have things that just they, they they bother us the other day i heard a lady said this at 35 
I had no idea I would form such strong opinions about lighting in rooms, font styles, in, uh, ink pen tip sizes. But 30 years later, here I am. I just, those things, I have a preference on them now. Can I just tell you, without the mission and purpose of God, we become very small-minded. We start, we just, things bother us, and we get focused on these little granular things. Where is the calling of God? Where is the mission of God? It's, it's about more than just that. And so the, the greatness of God, we're living for Him, we're serving Him. That's where we find our stability. And the most insecure people are the small-minded ones. And I'm preaching it myself when I say that. May we get free of that as we bask in the greatness of our God. All right, notice two things about that. First, there's the power. We read that at the beginning of verse 3. God has provided power to deliver on this life and godliness because in our power, I can't live right. I can't, I can't live up to the standard of God's uh, holiness. I, I need someone to help me. God provides the power. He provides all that we need. And I think far too many of us see our faith as only abstract or something we talk about when it is powerfully so much more. I love 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not in word, is not in word, but in power. It has power to it. Um, what we claim to believe about God possesses great power. And then the end of verse 3, he says he's called us to what? Glory and virtue. It possesses power, this God, this great God, he possesses power. Number two, he possesses glory and virtue. It is by Christ's glory and excellence or virtue that we are drawn to God. It is, again, these that are the end product of the Christian life. So we are drawn to that glory and virtue, and then he starts producing it in us. And that's where the confidence starts to grow. Look at what God's doing. Uh, folks ought to see in us, hey, I, I knew you 10 years ago. I knew you five minutes ago. Man, where'd that come from? That glory and virtue that's growing, that's where the confidence comes. Is that being seen in you? Is that being seen uh, in me? So Peter talks about calling. He does it over and over in the first epistle. He does it here in the second epistle as well. And he ends here with this calling to glory and virtue. Dearly beloved, tonight, until we have a clear sense of divine calling, we will be unstable at best. Would you choose to soak up the foundational calling that God has clearly revealed to you through his word and through his spirit? The other day I heard a person, I don't know what you would say is your calling. Like if I were to ask you, hey, would you stand and just share? What do you feel called to? Who are, who are you called to? What are you called to? Somebody gave this definition of calling. I thought this was good, not necessarily from a spiritual source. He said, your calling is where the deepest gladness of your heart meets the world's greatest need. Uh, your calling is where the deepest gladness of your heart meets the world's greatest need. You know who that should be? That should be God. That should be where, that's the world's greatest need, isn't it? That ought to be our, our deepest heart-level joy is our calling in God. What a gift that God calls us to himself. All right, verse 4. Let's spend a moment here tonight as we finish. Number 2, jot this down. We need to stand not only upon the gift of calling, but number 2, the gift of revelation. The gift of revelation. And he says in verse 4, "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises." So we see this revelation. Where do we find those promises in uh, the Word of God? If you were to look at your bulletin uh, this morning, I don't know if you, you were looking at it or not. Miss Brandy and I were talking after church in the morning. Could you tell what that graphic was? Could you tell what it was on the screen? The like, the, the blue? What, it, what do you think it is? Okay, mallet. Miss Brandy thought it was, stick with me here, a weed eater. 
And, and a few others of you said you were kind of wondering what it was as well. And I said, yeah, I guess that applies, you know, judgment seat of Christ, God's going to mow us all down, you know, it has a little, so that's kind of her, that's how she's wired. I'm much more soft and gracious, you know, God's loving, she's like, weed eat them down, you know. Uh, but isn't it funny how we see things differently? Um, I'm thankful for the word of God that gives us clarity, that gives us conviction, that reveals to us the things we need to build our life on. Um, where would we be without the revelation of God? Where would we be without what we see in creation, his general revelation? Where would we be without a special revelation, his son, his word? Um, man, we have every reason to be confident tonight because of that. All right, two things under that and we're done. First, the human benefit. There is an elevated nature. Notice that God elevates us. He gets us off of this life and this world and its passions. The human benefit of this gift of revelation is it calls us to an elevated nature. First of all, we're partakers of God's nature, the divine nature. Uh, we get to participate in who God is. What does that mean? To be like Christ. We, we, are, we are able, we are called into being little Christ, being like Jesus Christ. The same victories, the same character, the same integrity that he possesses, even his victory over death itself, that is ours. Why are we then so timid when we are partakers of the divine nature. God is never unstable. God is never insecure. That's not his nature. He's the bedrock of everything. And we have that same nature through the finished work of Jesus Christ. But notice the negative side of it. He says not only are we partakers of the divine nature, we also have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we are partakers of the divine nature. We also lastly have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I mentioned to you we had our camp, men's camp out a few uh, months ago or weeks ago at uh, one of our church family's uh, properties down in Loudonville, and uh, I was telling the guys we had like nothing healthy that we were eating, um, and I was kind of getting preachy with them about that, half tongue-in-cheek with them, but we had like every kind of meat that you can imagine, and I said to them, I said, did you hear the, the fact that if you eat a hot dog, every hot dog you eat takes 35 minutes off your life? Like just totally killed the mood, you know, and was like, where'd that come from? Thanks, you know, and then a few start arguing about it or discussing it. Isn't it amazing the things that we want, the things that we partake that we even know are negative to our bodies, things that we ingest or things that we interact with in this world? Can I tell you that a double-minded man, James says, is unstable in all his ways, having a foot in the world and having trying to also pursue that which pleases the Lord creates a lot of inconsistencies. Men, Love God, pursue God. Women, uh, young people, let's seek God. We are free from this world and its lust. We are not bound to them. We don't have to say yes to this world's corruptions. It's sexual sin, it's drunkenness, it's filth, it's misery, it's treachery, it's strife. The list goes on and on and on. And one of the gifts of the Lord's table we're about to observe tonight is it allows us to be sanctified from those things, Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 27 says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. We talked about that this morning. So let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And so we have to choose to be purified, to be refined tonight, with the help of the Lord. 
Now, one of my favorite parts of this text tonight as we finish, notice the last two words of verse 4. He says, having escaped the corruption that is in the world, here's the last through, through lust. Listen to me tonight. When we are solidified by a divine nature, we no longer need carnal means. I don't have to live life when I'm stressed by whatever the food is I run to or the the sensation I pursue, or the person I call, the carnal pursuits, the the surfacey things. I don't need those things anymore. I'm confident and secure in who God is. I don't need to live through the flesh to try to compensate for my insecurities. I have everything I need through Jesus Christ. That's stability. That's a confidence that God wants to use to sanctify his people. And lastly, notice the divine means is the promises of God. The beginning of the verse again. The divine means is the promises of God. Include among all the things which God's power has given to us to help us be holy and confident and secure in Him, He's provided for us His promises. One, one article I was reading said in the Bible, I don't know if you have a guess, how many promises do you think are in the Bible? Uh, Miss Brandy, you can make note of that because I'll forget this after I say it for the Stump the Pastor night uh, for a kids' choir. There are over 30,000 promises in the Bible, 30,000. I remember reading John Bunyan once said this, the pathway of life is strewn so thickly with the promises of God, it's impossible to take a step without treading upon one of them. They're just everywhere. The promises, the promises, the promises of God. I was listening to a podcast the other, way, uh, other day, John Maxwell, who does a lot on leadership, and he's a former pastor now in the leadership space for a number of years, but he said this statement, listen to this, the finish line, he said this to leaders, the finish line is never close to the starting line. Don't you wish that was the case, at least a little closer, especially as we move through life? Uh, I notice I like half-court basketball better than full-court basketball anymore for a lot of reasons. He says the finish line is never close to the starting line. That's why we have to condition people for the race. How do we condition ourselves and others with the promises of God? It's worth it to wait. It's worth it to stick with it. There is something at the end of this race, and it is the promises of God. Our lack of perseverance and stability exposes where we are building our thoughts, feelings, and projections on the words of others instead of God's revealed word. Will you choose tonight to come back to God's word as the source of your stability and security and tonight with this picture i thought this was a neat picture i don't know if you've been tracking or not the fires out west they're always raging but especially recently we've had a lot of this the tree you see here in front of you the base of it is the largest tree in the world it is called general sherman did you see this in the news uh it's in sequoia national park and uh, much of the park is is battling wildfires as we speak even this evening and so what they've been doing Uh, is actually taking fire blankets, these foil blankets, and wrapping the base of the trees. Um, This tree you're looking at, General Sherman, um, is estimated to be 2,300 to 2,700 years old, measures uh, 275 feet high and roughly 36 feet in diameter, 36 feet in diameter. And they were talking about how many blankets they had used to try to protect and wrap this tree to protect it. The world is burning, isn't it? There's a lot going on in our world that's just chaotic. And I just want to encourage tonight, God has got us. He's provided everything we need to not just survive but thrive on this barren land and in all of the things that right now overwhelm us if we look at them 
And so may we speak to our insecurities, may we speak to them with the provision of the gifts that God has given. We have everything we need from God to be steady in a world that is unraveling all around us. And so we end with this verse tonight, Luke twenty-two twenty. Christ says this as he institutes the Lord's Supper. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, here are his words, this cup is the New Testament, my blood, which is shed for you. What greater gift is there for us? The less songs being written and sung about the blood nowadays, aren't there? We need the blood. We need the body of Christ uh, that has been broken and shed for us. He has given us everything we need. And by the way, Peter heard him say those words. He heard him say, this is my blood, which is shed for you. And then Peter writes these first four verses and said, Christian, be secure in the gifts of God that all begin and end with Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word tonight.